Welcome back, everybody. Episode 48 of the Sports Gospel Podcast. Happy to have you back with us. This is going to be a basketball week episode. You know what that means, Andrew, back with us, our basketball aficionado. And getting into the real meaty part of both the college and NBA basketball seasons. We had the NBA All-Star competition this last weekend, so we'll kind of use this as the second half of the season starting point, kind of preview what we have left for the second half of the season. Look at our contenders in the men's and the women's game and see where we're at with some of the individual stars of those leagues. Before we get into that, Daytona 500 was this weekend. Did you watch it? Not a single second. I can't say I'm too shocked. But no, no, you shouldn't be too shocked. I've watched it in the past, but uh, it's just not my thing. The guy I picked on last week's show, Chase Briscoe, ended up getting second. So that made me feel pretty good. So a little, little cool. self-congratulatory pat on the back there. Who ended up winning? Some guy you've never heard of named Austin Sindrick. Okay. There's um, about, <laughs> I ranted on this last week. There's about five recognizable names in NASCAR, and it really bothers me that they have not done a good job of pro- promoting their new guys. And there seems to be a bit of an epidemic of this going on in NASCAR, where it's just who comes up with the most money growing up. This guy, I think, is the son of one of the simple oversimplified. He's the son of one of the team owners, basically. So that's a pretty easy way to get a job. But anyway, hmm. my rant on nepotism in NASCAR, I'll save that for when we have somebody who's more of a NASCAR fan on the show. But. I'm going to open the floor here for you, Mr. Basketball fan. All-Star weekend. I watched a little bit of the All-Star games because it happened to be on the bar where I was having dinner. Uh, it's just not, they don't try. It's an offensive exhibition. Uh, they have tried all these different gimmicks. I didn't hate I didn't hate the dunk contest, the highlights that I saw. It maybe just be my man crush on Obi Toppin. But between the skills challenges and three-point and dunk contest and All-Star game, what was your favorite part of this past weekend? I think my favorite part was probably the three-point contest with Carl Anthony Towns winning it in a very surprising fashion. Uh, the dunk contest was, man, it was so bad. It was uh, Obi Toppin didn't lose it more than Obi Toppin won it. And why, why man, are people we just, hating on the dunk contest? I saw some really good dunks from. Um, it was Obi Toppin, Juan Toscano, Anderson, and who's the third guy that I'm blanking on the name of? Oh, I thought Cole I, Anthony. Um, I thought I had some really good you know, dunks. He tried to play play some really good flair. Um, problem is that uh, a lot of those dunks that Cole Anthony hit, they weren't on the first try. They were on the second or the third try. I think it would have been a lot more flair. And I think there was a real uh, real missed opportunity with uh, Guy Fieri sitting there oh, uh, nice. mid uh, at uh, you know mid court smoking a cigar. I feel like <laughs> someone should have used Guy Fieri as a prop. In Flavortown, you know, they're in Flavortown. You got to use Guy Fieri. Like if, if someone would have jumped over Guy Fieri, they would have won instantly. <laughs> yeah, it's you think to have a celebrity right there. It's almost like he would have been planted like, oh, somebody had this master plan from the get go that they were going to pull him out for a big spot. Right. right. Yeah, you can't it, mess it, up it, that it, hair. You, you, you brush against that hair with your leg and it's over. There just wasn't the showmanship that uh, I kind of uh, wanted or expected. And also it kind of feels like we don't have the game's best dunkers in the competition year, year in, year out. Um, I would have rather seen it guys like John Morant and Miles Bridges be there. Um, those are two of the best dunkers. I think a competition between those two would be just absolutely spectacular. 
Um, and those guys aren't, aren't the ones doing it. Instead, we're getting Jalen Green and Obi Top, and and no offense to those guys, but uh, they're, they're just not the best dunkers in the NBA. And I think we've said this for a long time. I still think the best ones that I ever saw, and this could be an age thing, but I love the couple of years that Dwight Howard was really getting into it and really kind of took the showmanship and the props and all that to the next level. I feel like the dunk contest is one of those things that has kind of jumped the shark. There's only so many different ways you can dunk a basketball. And I think we've kind of exhausted all those at this point. It's just how high can you get? How much force can you throw down with? Just to me, it's hard to keep the the dunk contest fresh. Uh, It feels like they were trying different things, at least with like the skills challenges, what was like team Cleveland versus team uh, Greek freak brothers and like the rookies. So trying all these different little gimmicks, which I think credit to the NHL. I think they were kind of ahead of the curve on this. We don't give the NHL credit for much, but they started doing some different fun things with their all-star game when they had like the individual player draft that the NBA eventually copied. I just, I just feel like the dunk contest is one of those things that, you know, we've, we've kind of seen it all. I don't know what we can do unless like you say, we get the big stars, unless we get a John Morant versus LeBron versus Giannis type dunk contest. Well, Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, those were some good dunk contests when those two went head to head. Um, so if we could even get something like a John Morant, Miles Bridges, Aaron Gordon type deal, I think that'd be really fun. Um, we don't need the LeBrons or the or the Giannis's out there, although I'm sure those guys come up with some awesome stuff. But uh, I, I think we need John Moran out there. He's one of the most explosive dunkers that we've got in the game. So he should be out there. It's such a different beast from what it started as you think back the original dunk contest when it was Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and your bona fide Hall of Famers are playing in it. And now you're just kind of finding who whomever is interested. Yeah, it's uh, and I don't know why that is. I think it's guys worried about getting injured, stuff like that. I, I don't know, various various things, various reasons. But um, yeah, it's kind of kind of sad how far it's fallen. It used to be this really prestigious thing. I don't throw throw a million dollar bonus on it, then you get some guys interested. I don't know. I'm assuming they get some kind of money for winning it now. But. Yeah, if you threw a little more money at it, then yeah, you'd have everybody wanting to do it. Anything else um, from – yeah, go ahead. Anything else All-Star Game weekend related? Um, no, I mean, I really kind of like uh, the way they do that fourth quarter ending in the All-Star Game, the Elam ending. Um, I think that's something – Okay, Ex- explain this to us because I had – I was watching with some people at the bar and I did not do a good job trying to explain to them what was happening, that all of a sudden it's a very intense fourth quarter and we just randomly stopped at 163. Can you like, – you can do a better job than I can of explaining what that is. Yeah. The Elam ending. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of how to explain this, but um, they, they reach a predetermined score. Um, basically it's based off the, how the rest of the game is going. They um, kind of mathematically say once a team gets to this certain level, this is uh, this is where the game is going to end. Um, just to put that pressure on there, so that uh, we have like a definitive end. It's not like an overtime thing where it just kind of becomes a war of attrition. It's you're trying to reach a certain score. So so think of it like a, like a pickup basketball game. You know, you play play to 21. It's just an arbitrary score that's kind of thrown out there. Um, a lot of times you play to 21 by ones and twos, 
you know, and things get intense when it's 19 to 18, it's 20 to 19 and that next basket kind of wins it. So I think, I think it, there's some mathematic formula in there. I'm not quite um, sure um, how that is, uh, how that is all calculated. I'm not a, I'm not a math genius when it comes to these kinds of things, but I know there's some sort of mathematical cal- calculation that, uh, um, that is done. I, I guess it's kind of a target score that's established by adding eight points to like the leading team score at a certain time. Um, just trying to bring about a more natural way for the game to end than like a, a clock finish. And it also kind of eliminates the fouling at the end of games when one team's behind and they're fouling to try and catch up and stuff to stop clock and all of those things. They just, they're just trying to lock in and play defense and stop the other team from scoring as opposed to fouling to get back into the game. So that's what I really like about it. Nice. Well, in imagine this, we're in Cleveland and LeBron just happens to hit the game winning three point shot at the end. Who could have ever scripted such a thing? Uh, definitely not the NBA. No, no, they would never script anything ever. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. So, and it was a fadeaway too, I believe, but it was still a pretty sweet shot. And I'm glad that's kind of how it went down. Although the yield Monday did kind of, uh, screw my over bet that I had going mm-hmm. on. The over was 324 and I ended up being 323. So Ouch. that was a uh, pretty brutal. Once I saw what the <laughs> score was going to be at the fourth quarter, I was like, Oh no, I need 163 to 162 and I'm not going to get it. Ouch. Yeah. So uh, in that regard, I don't like the Elam ending so much because uh, it makes over-unders tougher to uh, obtain. But okay. uh, we'll, we'll see if that's something that the NBA even, even thinks about adopting on a regular basis. And one other part of the All-Star game that I really liked, the 75th anniversary team that they announced earlier this year and recognizing all those guys. And I think it's really cool because you see a lot of the – old timers, the hall of famers that you don't usually see. Like, I don't know that I've ever actually seen Dave Bing or like Oscar Robertson in the flesh. You see pictures or old timey footage, whatever it may be, but these guys aren't the ones popping up for interviews or like Dennis Rodman who's in commercials or reality shows. So I love seeing all these really, really old school players showing up and uh, getting to be recognized in front of that crowd. So I thought that was really cool. And then also doing the, you know, so many of those players have passed away as well, doing kind of a in memoriam, at least showing pictures of those guys. So they get to be included. So I love that 75th anniversary team thing. If only the modern players would not have come out in hoodies and sweatpants. Sorry, I'm a old get off my lawn man about, hey, you know, you've got this very nice suit coat. You know, got guys like Reggie Miller dressing it up. I appreciated that. They have just just maybe maybe ditch the hoodie for this very, very formal, illustrious occasion. But all in all, the 75th anniversary team, I thought was very cool. Yeah, I thought that was really um really amazing that they had all those guys there and around and you're right. I wish, uh, I wish there would have been maybe some sort of a dress code for all the guys that just said, you know, wear a suit and a tie show up in a suit and tie. And, uh, if you don't have one, we'll give you one. So they all, uh, they all got those great blazers. Like, come on, let you know, throw, add something to this. But, yeah, right. Exactly. So it's, um, I, I'm glad that they were able to get all those guys, and take a lot of pictures. Those are going to be a lot of pictures that are going to be just awesome for years to come. 
and I think. And fittingly, Jordan was the very last one introduced, which makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, he's a, He was number one, obviously, on the list. Uh, I get it. I uh, That's another debate for another day, but I, I get it. About how Kobe and LeBron are better players than Jordan? Oh, uh, not Kobe. Sorry, did I let it slip? Not Kobe, but LeBron may have a case. Hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll put together our fights about that for a future episode and get into the Absolutely. off season and we got to fill some time in the summer. Oh, wait, I forgot basketball has no off season because it goes until July. Yeah, and football really has no off season either because we're we're vastly approaching free agency. So what off season are you talking about? Well, at least the NFL has like a break in the action and I, I could do without the Super Bowl going so late into February, but it's when the like NBA playoffs are the biggest slog in sports. Like, really, it's been a week and we have two games done in the first round series. Like, come on, pick uh, up the pace. I kind of like it from that yeah. aspect because you know teams are less likely to be upset. The the better team often wins because of uh, just you know the amount of games that are played in a best of seven. It's it's really hard for fluky things to happen. NHL's got it figured out. The NFL playoffs move at a blistering pace i love it uh yeah i don't like the one and done i think there's just too much uh, i like the one and done for certain aspects but i also think that sometimes you know it doesn't always give us our best champion speaking of playoffs do you want to get into where we're at with the standings and tell us who's gonna make a run here uh yeah we can absolutely do that so we will start out here in the east which I kind of talked myself in and out of this argument a couple of weeks ago. I was going to wait for you to get on the show. Is the East better than the West right now, at least at the tippy top? You've got the Heat, Heat, Bulls, Sixers, Cavs, Bucks, and Celtics. And I'm going to throw the Nets in there just because they still have all that talent. Is that better top six? when you And then you go over to the West, like, okay, Phoenix, Golden State are amazing. But then Memphis, Utah, Dallas, Denver, is that a better top six than what we have out east? Because for 20 years, the West has been dominating the NBA. But it, with the L.A. teams kind of struggling, Portland and San Antonio down, is the east better than the west right now, at least from the playoff teams? I don't think so. Uh, those top two, that, that Phoenix, Golden State top two, and then even Memphis is that top three. It, those are actually pretty good teams. Um I think the East is better top to bottom than the West, but I think the top of the West is still better than the top of the East. We will talk about that top of the East here. So you've got the Bulls and the Heat tied for that number one position. I, I'm going to make you pick a team right now. Who would you ride with out of those two? Exact out same records the, right now. Yeah, out of those two, I would take Miami simply because of the injuries that the Bulls have sustained. I don't think... Um, you know, unless Lonzo and Caruso are coming back soon, the Bulls are kind of just injury decimated. They're making it work um, short term, but I think over the next four or five weeks or so, if they aren't getting Caruso and Lonzo back, they're going to be having a tough time. Miami, they've got Bam back. They've got Jimmy healthy. They've got Lowry back. They're kind of healthier, and I think that's really the biggest factor there is that Miami has a better health than Chicago. And that's why they're probably going to be, um, they're probably going to be the one seed, I would say. And get 
the Hornets to destroy in the first round. All right, the number three seed. So we have the three and four, the Sixers and the Cinderella Cavaliers here tied in the three and four spot. We have not had you on since the trade deadline, so if we want to incorporate any of that. But while we have the Sixers here at three, let's get into it. Sixers, Nets, Harden, Simmons. What's going to happen to these two teams in the aftermath of the biggest deal of the NBA season? Well, I really like that deal for both for both sides in uh, certain ways, and I think uh, I think it's better for the Sixers because of who they didn't give up. They didn't have to give up Maxi or Matisse Thibault to get James Harden or George and I think that's Well, I mean, I, he's he's kind of a rotation guy, <laughs> but uh, I think more of the you can have some playmaking from Tyrese Maxi. You can have good defense from Matisse Thibel and they're really both those guys are really an integral part of what the Sixers were doing before they acquired James Harden and they made them really versatile and I thought that the Nets were just going to be insistent that at least one of those two guys was going to be tossed back to them in a trade for Harden and it didn't end up that way and so I think that's a big win um, for Philly there that they can just kind of add James Harden to the mix of MB, Tobias Harris, Maxi, Thibel, they're kind of they're still kind of deep. They've got enough depth. They didn't kind of hollow out their team and make it top heavy now by adding James Harden. He's just another piece. It's added on a big piece. Obviously, he's the, he's the and another thing is that James Harden's the number two in this scenario. I mean, MB is clearly in the M- MVP conversation. James Harden's not on that level. James Harden is clearly the number two. With Harden and KD, where they were kind of at, and Kyrie, it was always kind of clear, unclear who's one, two, three. How's this going to work? I mean, it was kind of always KD at the end, as it should be, but uh, there was always kind of a not a very clear delineation of the pecking order. And in Philly, that's clear. It's Embiid, Harden. Um, one thing I'll say about the Nets side of the of the trade is they aren't going to need Ben Simmons to provide any scoring in a playoff scenario, and that's a good thing for him and for them that they that they aren't going to need that. I mean, if they've got Kyrie and KD out there, they don't really need a lot of scoring from Ben Simmons. They need him to play good defense, and they need him to facilitate the offense a little bit, and that's about it. And he he's more than capable of doing those two things. So at a very high level, as we've seen in the past. So I think it worked out brilliantly for kind of both sides. And that was going to be my question is, can Harden really be the number two guy? And I I didn't like the Nets deal from the start when they got those big three together, but it's like, okay, maybe Harden really is fine being the number two behind Durant. But now it kind of struck me as, oh, they clashed more than we may have expected and Harden wasn't really happy. That's what I wonder is, can he play second fiddle to Embiid, which, you know, these guys know each other. We have no idea what their personal relationship is like, but it's, it strikes me as kind of odd that Harden always kind of seems to want to be the guy. I don't know that he can ride back seat with Embiid leading the way, but the Sixers are very much Embiid's team. Like you say, he is, captain of the ship here so can Harden fall in line with that I think he has to uh in order for it to work and I also think 
you know, they've got Daryl Morey in the front office and probably a conversation was had between him and Harden that said, I'm bringing you in, but this is Joel Embiid's team. I really like you. I think you can be uh, what we need to propel ourselves to a possible championship. Uh, but this is still Joel Embiid's team. I really look at this Harden Embiid thing as like a significantly better version of the Harden Dwight Howard thing. Hmm. Uh, obviously because Embiid's just far more skilled than Dwight Howard ever was. So um, I, I'm looking at this as like a, a really uh, rich man's version of that. And uh, I think that's maybe what Daryl Morey is seeing too, with bringing those two together. And from the net side of things, might as well talk about them over here. Ben Simmons and Kyrie playing next to each other. Well, first of all, is Kyrie going to play basketball? And secondly, is that strikes me as a strange backcourt. I can't, I can't tell you why, but it just hits the tongue weird. Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving together. Yeah, it is a little bit of a strange fit. There's going to be plenty to be worked out there. Um, it's, it's similar in some ways to Harden and, and Kyrie, Who's going to share the ball and win? I mean, Kyrie's going to play on the road, not at home um, still. Ben Simmons could be a big factor when they're playing home playoff games and Kyrie can't be there um, for whatever reason. So I think it's a little bit of an awkward fit, but um, Kyrie can kind of play off the ball a little bit more than Simmons can just because of his shooting capability that Simmons just does not have. So I think I would expect to see the ball in uh, Ben Simmons hands quite a bit um, with him feeding it to Kyrie and to Katie and in spots that they like. And then four man's man's LeBron. Four man's LeBron is what I'm seeing with Ben Simmons here. Brooklyn, I think lost like 10 in a row. They're currently two and eight in their last 10. They've completely tanked down to that eight spot. If Durant gets healthy and the Simmons things work out, I think they'll climb right back up. But looking at their injury report, at least here's what CBS Sports has. Ben Simmons, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, uh, all out with injury. You've got a starting five of Patty Mills, Seth Curry, some guy named Kessler Edwards. Good old Andre Drummond still hanging in there. Like Griffin is floating around somewhere. Just the injuries and what this team has done. They've just been absolutely been gutted here in the last month or so that things are looking ugly for the Nets, but I don't know that it would be too hard for them to climb back in that top six. Yeah, top six may be a bit of a challenge unless Boston falls off. I think those top five are pretty well set, but I think the Nets get back in there, but it's going to be a little tougher road than we thought when they're just going to be, oh, they're a surefire top three team in the East. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. It looks a lot tougher now, and I'm not so sure that they can get to that number six spot with how Boston has looked and how they're playing. Um, they've got Derek White now, and it, that was kind of a sneaky deal at the deadline there, and it kind of makes their team work a little bit better um, than it did before. So I'm uh, I'm thinking, you know, maybe they can get their way up to seven and overtake Toronto, but – uh, I don't really see the Nets climbing back into that top six. And just for reference here, I was thinking about this. How much did the Nets give up to get James Harden? And I think the, they got some of the picks back from the Sixers in this whole deal. I don't have the details right in front of me. But that Nets rocket trade from a year and a half ago, 
The Nets had to give up Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince, who went to Cleveland. It's worked out pretty well for Jarrett Allen, at least. They gave up Car- uh, Karis LeVert, ended up getting traded. He was looped in there somewhere. Did he? Is he with the Cavs or the Bulls now? Didn't he just get traded from one to he got traded from the from the Cavs to the uh Did he go Pacers to Cavs? I thought he went from the Pacers to the oh, Cavs. Oh yeah, he went Pacers back to the Cavs. Yep. He went to the Pacers so, to the Cavs. So, so somehow <laughs> in this whole deal, Jared Allen, Torian Torian Prince, and Karis Levert are now all with Cleveland, which works out for Cleveland. They all the Nets also gave up three first round picks. Uh, this year, 2024, 2026, and then they had four pick swaps with Houston. So it's just crazy that they had to give up two starters, three draft picks for a guy that played a season and a half with them. And we only had 16 games with those big three together, which I, it's, I'm surprised to hear this, that Harden basically never actually wanted to go to the Nets. This was just kind of a stop off. He always wanted to get back with Daryl Morey. So I was shocked when I heard that. I thought he was really giddy about playing with those guys in Brooklyn, but now we know. Yeah. I, uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that as well. I thought, uh, I thought he was really giddy to try and go win a championship with that Nets roster. And they only got really one crack at it in the playoffs last year. And, uh, Milwaukee was able to overcome them. Finishing off the East here in year four, five, six, right now, you've got Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Boston. Uh, Boston catching fire nine and one. I was so excited for them. And then they were awful. Now they seem to be playing like the way Boston should. But let's let's throw the Raptors in there because they've been playing really well. Your your four through seven Cavs, Bucks, Celtics, Raptors. What are you expecting from that quadrant uh, in the second half? I think I'm uh, expecting the Bucks, you know, to be on top of that quadrant, maybe even to challenge Philly. I mean, it's Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, all tied at two and a half games back. So I think uh, those three are going to finish in some order. I think Cleveland will probably slide down to that fifth spot naturally and uh it'll be a battle between philly and milwaukee for that third spot um i think philly will grab it because of the harden deal uh the bucks will fall into that four spot and kind of get overlooked but i think we're i think where all of this is heading and where my mind's at for the eastern conference um the rest of regular season and then the playoffs is i think we're now looking at a, a sixers bucks Eastern Conference Finals because of the trade deadline moves that were made. The seedings could completely shake out, but if we got that in the first round, that would be crazy. I think Milwaukee will get better and move up out of that five spot. But I'm also wondering if they're kind of taking the veterans approach of, you know, we know what it takes to get to the championship. We've been there. We've done that. Let's let's load manage a little bit, take our time. Because I don't, I don't think the Bucks are really worried about being, oh, you know, that four or five matchup or the three, six, we're fine. We don't need to have that one or two seed. But I think you would definitely want to stay away from the Sixers as long as you could. You know, basically either one of those teams you want to avoid each other. If you're if you're the Sixers or the Bucks, I don't think you're all that worried about Chicago or Cleveland or even Boston at this point, or even Miami. Um, I don't think either of those teams should be worried about any any of the other Eastern Conference teams. The seeding is working out how it's going to work out, just for various reasons of injuries, mesh fit, um, how how teams have just kind of played through the through the year um and load management type stuff like that and i I think you're right you're spot on milwaukee has kind of done that thing where they've kind of been the ones to always kind of grab the one seed the past couple years and it's kind of made them uh they've kind of realized 
you burn yourself out a little bit by doing that. And uh, it hurts you come playoff time. So I think they're taking a more cautious approach with it. Uh, they want to obviously not be in the play-in neck of the woods, and I don't think they, they will be or be in a danger of that. But uh, I think uh, Philly and Milwaukee to extent are kind of going to take that approach. And then down here at the bottom, the teams who would be feasted on by that top tier. Uh, we mentioned Toronto and Brooklyn, and then you've got your beloved Hornets and my disappointing Atlanta Hawks down there at 10. I still keep holding out hope that Atlanta is going to catch fire and work their way up into those top six, and they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Trey Young, John Collins, all these guys that I like are going to get it together and keeps not happening. Granted, I don't see anybody coming up and getting them. Without Bradley Beal, Washington is done. Indiana's selling off pieces. We know Detroit and Orlando are young and developing talent. New York is kind of the only disappointing one. I don't know if they got the pieces to be as special as they were last year and make a run, but I don't see really any changes. You know, the seating may change, but I don't think anybody's coming into that top 10 other than what you see. Yeah. And I think you're spot on there. I think uh, the seating may change. You know, maybe Toronto will take a step back or two and uh one of charlotte or atlanta or brooklyn i guess could overtake them um so the seeding with these last four could shift a little bit but i think it could also be kind of a thing where the hornets and the and the hawks are yo-yoing between nine and ten for the rest of the season and out west we talked about it at the top of the show, your top two teams. This season very much looks like it's between the Suns and the Warriors to lose. I think those two teams look better than anybody out east. And let's see, looking the top, and like you mentioned, let's throw the Grizzlies in there. Those are the top three records in the NBA. Phoenix has been amazing all year. They had that big winning streak. And we thought, oh, this is a nice little streak for them. But oh, no, they're the real deal. They look like they're running it back. Chris Paul is playing out of his mind. Golden State's going to do Golden State things. We're not too shocked by that. Memphis and whatever they've built around John Morant with Bridges and Desmond Bain, all these guys. Utah, Denver, we know what we're getting from them. Sneak in Dallas and your beloved Luka. So those are your top six right now. Suns, Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz, Mavericks, Nuggets. Yeah, and with the Suns, um, it's funny you mentioned Chris Paul. Uh, he broke his thumb, I believe, and is getting reevaluated in six to eight weeks. Um, so that is kind of a, I don't know if he's going to try and play through that or what's going on with his, with his injury, but uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think with him, they're obviously the best team in the West without him. They're still kind of in contention to make it to the finals without Chris Paul. Uh, but it's not as much of a sure thing as they would be with him. Uh, it will force like Booker to play a little bit of point guard a little more instead of playing off the ball where he really excels. Uh, he he can do the whole point guard thing. He's really actually pretty good at that too, but uh, it's going to just put a little bit more on Devin Booker down the stretch here. I think they're probably going to end up being the one seed. Um, the Warriors will probably end up in that two spot. Uh, and it's really for them, it's really about just getting Clay back in and integrated into the rotation, into the lineup. 
get him feeling good about himself as they go into the playoffs. Um, I could even see them, you know, kind of taking that Milwaukee approach of we aren't burning ourselves out here for the two seed. I think the Grizzlies are going to burn themselves out for the two seed. They're going to go pedal to the metal. John Morant's having an excellent, excellent season. And uh, I, I would actually see the Grizzlies overtaking that two spot just because I think the Warriors will kind of play that veteran approach that we talked about with Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. And I would almost feel more comfortable in that three spot. Granted, I'd rather see the Mavericks than the Nuggets. But depending on how the play-in tournament shakes out, if you're that one or two seed, you could be staring down one of the two L.A. teams in the first round and call me foolish for blindly trusting in whatever LeBron and the Lakers are doing. And then the Clippers, you still have all that talent for them. I don't know that I'd be really excited to be the Grizzlies and, oh, I get the two seed and suddenly I get the Lakers. Awesome. Right. Exactly. Um, I think that would be kind of a not great scenario for uh, the Grizzlies. I think that'd be a really interesting series. Um, It will depend on Anthony Davis's health, who is again injured, may not be back for four weeks. The guy is just made of glass at this point. Um, So I think a lot of things would depend on that. I mean, the Lakers without Anthony Davis aren't much of a threat. With Anthony Davis, somewhat scary, but not as scary as they were when they won the championship. So I think you've kind of got a point there with uh, you wouldn't want to see Denver in that three spot so much because I kind of think they're a sleeping giant with Jamal Murray eventually coming back. That's kind of one of the stories of the of the Western Conference here, I think. You've got Jokic playing at an MVP level. It's probably him or Embiid for the MVP this year. But in order for them to reach uh, their peak as a team, they're going to need Jamal Murray to come back at some point. And we'll see uh, if that happens or what happens there. I would think that uh, Denver is probably going to eventually make their way up to five. And uh, the Mavericks will come back down to earth a little bit and end up in that sixth spot. And don't look now. But seven and three in their last 10, the seven seed Timberwolves time to jump on that bandwagon. We're going to drink that Kool-Aid. I'm going to drink that Kool-Aid a little bit. Um, I think they really got something going there with uh, Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell all kind of fitting together pretty well. It's a, it's almost like a light version of what the Nets tried to do with, uh, with uh, Harden, uh, Kyrie and, uh, Durant a little bit. I mean, they've they've got a solid big three, and uh, there's a couple of role players on the team. They've got Patrick Beverly that brings some tough toughness. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt um, brings a little bit of toughness to him as well. Naz Reed. So they they kind of they have some pieces. Malik Beasley can kind of go off every once in a while and score plenty of points. So. I'm not really necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think if uh, they're playing, like if it, the playoffs started right now and they had to play that playing game against the Clippers, I think I'd take the Wolves uh, in that playing game. Wow. And explain something to me here. The 10th team that would be in in these bloated playoffs, the Portland Trailblazers, who 
traded away their assets and Damian Lillard's out for the rest of the year. So kind of thought this was going to be a tank job. They've won four in a row since they traded CJ McCollum and cast away all their talented players. I don't know what Portland's doing. Do they not understand the point is to lose and get high draft picks, but they are somehow in that 10 seed. They may not stack up against your mighty, mighty Timberwolves, but looking at the bottom of the West, I don't really know who's going to take Portland out at this point, unless Portland takes themselves out. San Antonio's not great. New Orleans seems to be chaotic. They've, you know, CJ McCollum. I thought CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram would be a nice pairing there. And Zion is still a mystery. Sacramento thought, oh, maybe DeMontis Sabonis at least get them up into this level. And then Oklahoma City and Houston aren't going anywhere. But those teams on the outside looking in, San Antonio, New Orleans, and Sacramento, I'd like to think one of them can jump Portland for that 10th spot. But the Blazers are doing the opposite of tanking. Yeah, I think uh, if there is going to be one of those teams to jump, it's going to be the Spurs um, just because of uh, kind of the Popovich factor. But also I kind of really like uh, DeJounte Murray and what he's done this year. All-star for the first time. I think if there's going to be one of those three teams that jumps Portland, which they probably will because of everything that you mentioned, Portland kind of had a nice sell-off. Lillard's out. I think it's going to be the Spurs that are going to jump up in there. I don't have a lot of faith in New Orleans. They're Again, they're too up and down. Um, they'd need Zion back to kind of make that kind of a push. And uh, I don't think they're getting that. So I've, I've got very little faith in uh, New Orleans or Sacramento or, or anything, anyone below that. So the Spurs will kind of be the team to jump in there, I think. Can I, I'm, I'm not officially endorsing this, but can I get on here and just tease a hot take? Sure. Greg Popovich, most overrated coach in NBA history. Dot, dot, dot. Mm. L- look at life since Tim Duncan retired for the Spurs. Now, you, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not officially taking this take. I just want to float the idea. So Duncan retired after the 2016 season when they lost in the conference semifinals. They lost in the conference finals in 2017. Good. Then lost in the first round two seasons and have missed the playoffs the last two years. Did we did we overcredit Popovich? Did we undercredit Duncan? A little bit of both, a little bit of neither. Well, some some other things happened in there. I think the front office had some overhaul, some changes for the Spurs. I think what we're what we're talking about here is kind of like the Spurs kind of uh, put themselves in a spot where they weren't set up to continue on the success after the Duncan era was over. It's because they were kind of just so good. They didn't really have a way to, uh, well, they had it. They had Kawhi Leonard and then he jumped ship on them. Um, they were really set up for success with Kawhi Leonard uh, until he jumped ship. And so I don't think they really had a plan for that. So I'm not going to go out and say Popovich is one of the most overrated coaches. I think he's actually one of the better coaches that we've ever had. Um, he got plenty out of uh, out of that era. I think he got the most out of that Duncan era that he could have. Um, like five titles. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone else could have done that with that crew. I think. Um, other than 
guys that you would consider in the pantheon of best coaches in NBA history. So that's, uh, that's why I think Popovich is up on that level. I'm really honestly, frankly surprised that he's still around, still doing his thing that he hasn't called it quits by now. Right. Um, but maybe, you know, he kind of wants to see them come back around and be, um, good again. And, uh, take one more run at a title. I just don't know how they're going to get there. Agreed. I mean, he's, he's 73 years old right now. Um, it's really impressive that he's still coaching right. a team at 73 years old. Um, I'm not going to fault him for these last two years, just because I've looked at the roster, not a lot to work with other than DeJounte Murray. Yeah. DeMar DeRozan. They had DeMar DeRozan for, <laughs> for a year and that was it that's that's all he's had to work with so i don't really fault pop for these past couple of years of uh not making the playoffs anything else on the team side of basketball before we talk about some individuals uh nothing else on the team side well i want to i think you alluded to this so i want to get your mvp favorites right now because i think we have some similar and some very different i was reading a straw poll can't remember which one of the big outlets had it this week and they had uh mb as a pretty big favorite which yes he leads the league in points per game but i was not sold on him he may be four or five for me i had three guys ahead of him but i'm curious what your rankings are for your current mvp favorites well i think you know that it, it's kind of it's mb it's Jokic. It's Giannis, and those are kind of year three. Yeah, two MVP out of my three. Can't, yeah, yeah. Well, those are my MVP candidates in that order. People are going to fall in love with the DeRozan thing. Um, he's a six-six guard who's a volume scorer who doesn't provide the defensive um, things that Embiid or Giannis can, or even Jokic to an extent. Um, So I I think that's what gives those guys an edge over DeMar DeRozan. Although DeMar has been awesome. He's going to be a first team all pro. So he's kind of, he's kind of the fourth guy for me, Um, but more of a distant fourth than a, a close fourth as some people would make it seem. So I really think it's an Embiid Jokic race. Um, I think maybe Giannis probably actually deserves it, but won't get it just because of the fatigue factor. He's won it a couple times, um, but he's putting up incredible numbers once again and making it look like it's effortless and easy to do so. He's not going to get the minutes that he needs to put up the numbers that he needs to win the MVP award. Embiid and Jokic, I think those guys are going to have the minutes that they need to put up the numbers that they can to win the MVP award. So I think it's one of those two guys. Uh, Quick side note, I love that pro basketball reference has heaves as a statistical category you can look at. Um, I'm with you on two of those guys. I'm with you on Giannis and Jokic. I've been a huge Jokic fan. I already feel like there's that fatigue with him because he is kind of I don't know how to explain it because he's not dull and boring. You actually hear him talk and see some of his stuff. He's kind of this bizarre, fun guy, but he's just kind of like, eh, he doesn't, he doesn't wow you on a basketball court, but you look at the numbers like, oh, wow, he went 20, 10, and 10 
tonight and just kind of quietly nobody noticed. I think the Nuggets as a team need to do a little bit better for him to climb up there. Plus, I know people just don't love Jokic like they do some of the other guys. I think Giannis absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. Again, if the Bucks kind of get it together and uh, kind of climb up the rankings here in the latter half of the season, Giannis is third in points right now, total points. So I think he's doing everything you want. And then I'm going to throw Steph in there. He'd be my other guy you know, that I have different than you. That's where I think Embiid would maybe be four or five for me after these three. I just think what Steph is doing, he was on fire. He's cooled off a little bit throughout the year, but he can go off whenever he feels like it. It's like, okay, let's get him back to full, get the team back to full strength, get Clay back in the rhythm, get Draymond back and get everything going. And I think Steph's going to, in the second half of the season, I think he's going to be back to old Steph and just drop 40 point games every night. Like it's nothing. So I think if I had a ballot right now, I would probably go Jokic one, Giannis two, Steph three, Embiid four. And then I'm going to be one of those suckers you talked about who just loves the DeMar DeRozan story. So I'll give him my fifth place on my ballot. Interesting. I mean, Curry is having actually one of his worst shooting years. Um, If you look at the numbers, uh, it's not a great shooting year for Curry. It's a, it's, it's good. It's a good Curry season. It's not a great Curry season. I think he had some moments early on. I think that's kind of faded. He had the all-star game where he hit 16 threes. Uh, maybe that will break him out of a little bit of a funk that he's in. We'll see. Uh, but I think he's got plenty of ground to try and make up there. And uh, again, Steph Curry isn't a guy who offers that much on the defensive side of the ball. I think more and more people are recognizing that you kind of have to be really great both ways to be an MVP. And uh, that's, that's why I would argue that Embiid is, is higher on the list, probably the number one on the list not um, because of what he offers at both, both ends, not just for this year, but you're building an NBA team for like the next decade, starting right now. Do you want Embiid or Jokic? I want Embiid. Hmm. I want Embiid. I understand the injury concerns there, uh, but I've just seen the peak of Embiid, and I think the peak of Embiid is just so much greater than the peak of Jokic, as great of a player as Jokic is. Uh, I don't think a quadruple double is out of the question for Embiid. I mean, he's been close a couple times. So um, I don't think that's the kind of potential we're talking about with that guy. Agree to disagree. Would you like to talk about some college basketball? I would love to talk talk to you about some college basketball. We're getting really close for maybe uh, three weeks away from Selection Sunday, I believe. So. Sure. It's kind of that time where we're talking about, you know, certain teams, tournament resumes, the bubble, one seeds, two seeds, all that kind of thing. The Zags back on top of the basketball world as of the most recent poll. Arizona, despite my lack of faith in them, are still holding on number two. Auburn down to three and then Purdue, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke. Look who's coming. Villanova Wildcats. I love Villanova. I love Jay Wright. They're peaking at the right time. Watch out for them. We can talk more about that in a minute. Uh, those are kind of your top teams right now. Baylor, Providence sliding down a little bit. The Houston team that you hate sliding way down. Um, Arkansas getting hot, finally getting things going. St. Mary's, UConn, your Hawkeyes are somehow in the rankings. Uh, 
Uh, what are we looking at the top 25 here? I know there's some of these teams that you are, uh, we did a contenders and pretenders a few weeks ago. Have you changed your stance on any of these? Um, man, you'd have to remind me who I call contenders and who I, who I call pretenders. You, I'm pretty sure you were big into Auburn. I was, I didn't trust Auburn and I thought you were a, you were an Auburn believer. I am still an Auburn believer. Um, I still believe in Auburn. Um, and I believe the metrics kind of bear that out as well, as far as the offensive and defensive efficiency that they got going on there. Um, and now it's a little harsh to say that I hate Houston. Okay. It's just that I don't believe in them that much because of the injuries that they've had to specifically their best player, Marcus Sasser. I would actually like them a lot if Marcus Sasser was, was healthy, but he's gone for the rest of the year. And so I think that's just kind of a big blow to them. Um, and you I talk think... about, you talk about Villanova, and then maybe peaking at the right time. I'm not sold. They they were in a dogfight with Georgetown, who is just awful um, this past weekend, and they were able to overcome Georgetown because it's Georgetown and they suck. <laughs> um, but I haven't watched Villanova and gone, wow, that's a team that can win it. Um, if there's a team that I was down on earlier that I'm now pretty high on, it's probably Kentucky. Um, I think that's the team that's kind of maybe peaking at the right time and having things come around. And they've got a player of the year candidate in Oscar Shibwe, but they've got good guard play with Ty Ty Washington and uh, Severe Wheeler, um, I believe, is also in the backcourt. Kellen Grady. They've got a lot of pieces and they can kind of come at you in waves. They've got plenty of depth. As well, Davion Mintz can come off the bench and play a big role. So I think it's kind of a kind of a Kentucky. I'm not going to say that Kentucky's going to win it, but they're a team that I think will probably be in that Final Four uh, wow. there in uh, early April. Well, so, and we would need to take a little bit more time to flesh this out, but the SEC – Maybe the best conference this year. I know the Big 12 is pretty top-heavy. Same with the Pac-12 is weirdly good with their top teams. Big 10 is pretty deep. But when you look at the SEC, you've got Auburn and Kentucky, top five teams. Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama are all probably tournament-bound. You have a Mississippi State and a Florida kind of dancing on the bubble right now. But it's a good thing the ACC is garbage this year and is only going to get like two or three teams in because there's a lot of SEC teams that are going to take bids that we don't normally think of. You're... Your Arkansas and Alabamas and LSU that go up and down are all right in the mix this year. Yeah, and uh, you're looking at the AP rankings. I'm kind of looking at the net because that's kind of where, um, you know, where I think uh, it's a little more accurate or net or Ken Palm. It kind of gives you a better feel of the teams. I think uh, the AP rankings are too reactionary um, by some of the Associated Press members. It gives you kind of a better feel of where teams are at. I think um, the SEC is is pretty good. I would still say that Big 12 is probably the best conference, top to bottom, um, just because there's going to be the amount of teams that get in. They're also deep. Um, I'd say the Big 10 is a little more more top-heavy, deep enough. They're probably going to get seven, maybe eight teams in. 
But yeah, you're right. The ACC is really bad, and so it makes some of these other major conferences look a lot better. The bubble this year, I mean, and we can get into that if you want to, uh, but the bubble this year is just really a weak bubble. It's not a very good bubble, and uh, that's why uh, certain teams are going to make it in that you just don't think that they should be in, but it's a very weak bubble. But I'm all for that because I feel like it opens the door for some of the mid-major teams who don't always get a chance. Your your St. Mary's, your like even if Murray State were to lose their conference tournament, somebody like that gets in. More of your Boise States, your San Diego States, those kind of schools. I'm all for them getting in. Loyola getting back in. So give me give me more mid-majors. I don't need a 500 team from the ACC. Like, ooh, cool, Clemson, go get a nine seed and get destroyed in the first round. Give me a North Texas. Give me somebody new. Let's put Memphis in there. SMU, you know, add, put some of these mid-majors or these small conference schools in who have had terrific years. I don't know why the, oh, was it like the Davidson and Murray State, Ohio Valley? Is that that conference? Why do they only get one bid? Let's open it up. Let's get some more of these guys in here. Yeah, and I think you're going to see some of that. Um, just because of the, the bubble being so weak, I think you're going to get some of that going on. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out. Um, but, you you know, uh, with the ACC being so weak, you're going to see a conference like the Mountain West, like Boise State, Colorado State, San Diego State, Wyoming even. We're going to see like three or four teams from the Mountain West Conference where we're maybe only used to seeing like two. So, um I, yeah, or a team like Murray State who loses in the conference tournament maybe somehow still gets in. I'm I'm up for it too. I like having some of those smaller schools as opposed to like, a, yeah, like you said, a Clemson getting a nine seed, although Clemson's probably going to be in uh, this year and they'll probably get destroyed in the first round. It seems like that's kind of what they do, but uh yeah, I think we'll probably get some of that, but not not as much of that as we have in years past. I'm going to do a, a rapid-fire game with you. Awesome. You know, as long as you know everything about every college team, you'll be fine. Oh, well, I, I have actively studied all 300 Division One teams or so. Love it. All right, your ACC conference champion will be Duke, Wake Forest, North Carolina, or Notre Dame? Uh, Duke. Because the ACC is garbage this year, except for Duke. Yes, exactly. Your Big East champion. I think this is a nice, meaty conference. Providence, Villanova, UConn, Creighton, Xavier, or Seton Hall. Let's throw Marquette in there. Let's give you seven to pick from. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's really um, down to uh, Providence and Villanova. I'm going to go ahead and take. Providence. Ooh. I actually, I actually have a bet um, on Providence being the Big East champion. They're twelve and two right now. I think they're going to be your Big East champion. Your beloved Big Ten: Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio State. Got to put my money where my mouth is on this one too. I have Purdue to win the Big Ten championship as well. Got a wager on that. I think Purdue is going to win the Big Ten regular season. We're talking regular season, not conference tournaments, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If we're talking regular season, Providence and Purdue and the Big East and the Big Ten. Poor Nebraska. I, I still want good things for Fred Hoiberg and Nebraska basketball just is not it. This is the, this is the end of the line for him. I mean, 
That's a pretty <laughs> quick conversation, but this is the end of the line for him. Nobody's going to win in Nebraska basketball. All right. The Big 12, Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, or Texas? Give me a second here. Kansas is on top of the standings. I think Kansas wins it back this year. Ooh. We're yeah, gonna... I don't I don't like it, but I, I think just based off of where we are in the conference season, the wins and losses, Baylor with the injury to uh everyday John as French Fischilla calls him. <laughs> uh that's a big injury for Baylor, and I don't think they're gonna have enough to to make the push to win the conference championship. So I think it's kind of just a math game at this point. So that's why I'm taking Kansas. Look at your Northern Iowa Panthers on top of the Missouri Valley. Um, Going down to the Pac-12, basically a three-horse race here. I think they're only going to get three bids out of this conference. Arizona, USC, and UCLA. This conference is very top-heavy and then nothing. You've got Arizona with one conference loss and USC and UCLA with four. So I think I'll take Arizona there. And lastly, the one we just talked about, Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, the surprisingly loaded SEC. I like Auburn. I'm a big believer. I'm a big fan, but I just told you how great Kentucky is. So I'm going to go ahead and take Kentucky to win the SEC regular season. And I think that'll be good enough for them to secure one of those four one seeds. Kind of surprised that when the committee revealed the one seeds that they had Kansas as a one seed and not Kentucky. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Kentucky went into Fog Allen and whooped Kansas by 16 points. So um, I'm all for anybody whooping Kansas at any given time in basketball. So I don't care who it is. I figured you would like to hear that. Um, so to, to me, it didn't make sense why Kentucky was on the two line and not the one line. I think they're a one seed team and, you know, Auburn might be as well. We might get Kentucky and Auburn on the one line. Um, I think it's probably more likely that Auburn's down on the two line this year at the end of the year, but Kentucky will win the SEC. Anything else on the men's side before we jump over to the women's here quick? Um, Nope. Uh, I, th- I would assume uh, we're going to maybe do some bubble talk, maybe cl- closer to Selection Sunday. Yeah, um, I'd love to, love to join you for that because it's still just so fluid at this point. Yeah, well, we'll get you back on before we get into the big dance and hopefully we'll kind of have churned through some of the chaff here and there will be a few, a few less bubble option teams left to sift through. Perfect. Yeah, we can uh, flip on over to the women's side. And... This kind of feels like a wide open year. UConn, I mean, it's UConn, so they probably have a chance, but a very strange year for them. Uh, Tennessee, your other usual suspects are kind of down. South Carolina leading the way. Not a real surprise. South Carolina, Stanford, NC State, Louisville, and I guess Baylor's in there, but they don't have Kim Mulkey anymore, so I think that makes a difference. Your top 25, those are not like the blue bloods, but they're kind of some more of the usual suspects that you're used to seeing up here. LSU and Iowa State, surprising top 10 teams. Uh, looking down here, there's Tennessee at 16. Your Iowa Hawkeyes down at 21. I'm sure we're going to talk about Caitlin Clark. She has been the story of women's college basketball. Kind of a little surprising that Iowa doesn't have more around her, but she's been lights out. I probably just give her the 
Naismith Women's Award this year. Then you get down to the bottom. I look, Florida Gulf Coast, 24 and 2. Good to see them getting rankings. I'm always going to be a fan of smaller schools getting some recognition. But on the women's side, it feels just as wide open as the men's side. And you guys maybe have the two best players in the country in your state. Yeah, I think uh, the women's side is wide open. I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched as much women's basketball as I was intending this year. I've watched plenty of Caitlin Clark. I've watched plenty of Iowa. Um, man, I, when you talk about contenders, uh, I'm really in the dark. I think that South Carolina team is probably the best team um, with Aaliyah Boston there. Um, but you're right, on the Player of the Year award, I think that's uh, – that's been locked up for a while just with the year that Caitlin Clark's having. I mean, she's really, she's kind of doing what Steph Curry has done in the NBA in Mm -hmm. a way and opening it up for the men's game. I mean, pulling up with back-to-back logo threes, getting triple doubles. I mean, it's, it's something that we, I don't think we've seen really you know, and it's in, in a way going to kind of maybe revolutionize the women's game. a little bit. And the, the first comparison that comes to mind is Sabrina Ionescu from out at the Oregon ducks. And then I get, this was only like two years ago. So it's not like we're looking, hearkening back into the olden days, but I do feel like those are probably the most comparable players of for as big as Sabrina Ionescu was for women's college, but uh, basketball and will probably be for the WNBA. Caitlin Clark seems to be kind of cut from that same cloth of, somebody's going to attract the attention and be a star and uh, do everything on the court for the team. So she kind of makes me think of Sabrina Ionescu's best days with Oregon. It'd be interesting to see what Iowa can do and put around her down here at 21. So they, you think you'd like to see a little bit more from them. Maybe that would help her cause getting any uh, postseason accolades. Well, the, um, the team has struggled. They did struggle with that COVID battle that I believe had a pretty uh, big impact on them. And Monica Cisnano is like a first team, all big 10 player as well. Um, So she's pretty good. McKenna Warnock is back and she's been a, she was a big piece of the attack for Iowa before she went out with an injury. She's back. And then immediately as she came back, they beat number five, Indiana in Indiana. So I think, uh, it's been a little bit of an underwhelming season, but I think they actually have some pretty good talent around Caitlin Clark. Um, having watched them play, I think with Cisnano, Warnock, um, yeah, Gabby Marshall can hit threes. Kate Martin's a pretty versatile player as well. Um, I think uh, I think they kind of have things rolling now in a better uh, direction. So that could be a sneaky team that could make a pretty deep run in March. And looking at some of the other top teams here, it is hard to go against South Carolina. They've already beat NC state, Oregon, Yukon, Duke, Stanford, Maryland, LSU, Kentucky, Ole Miss. What I'm saying is they've basically beaten all the good teams, all the contenders, Tennessee, South Carolina. That's going to be a tough battle for anybody to get over what the Gamecocks are doing down there. But just for fun, I'm going to go, let me throw Stanford out there. That's going to be my other pick. Unbeaten in 2022. Can't let some quick math. Basically 15 straight wins for them in the 2022 calendar year so far. So be tough for anybody to get over South Carolina, but give me Stanford as a change of pace pick. I like it. Um, I think I'm going to take South Carolina just because 
I know how good they are. I know that Aaliyah Boston's a future pro. Um, and that she's a really great player too. And I think she's the kind of player that can carry a team to a championship. So uh, I'll probably take South Carolina, but also, you know, when the women's bracket comes out and I do the tournament challenge, I'll probably have, you know, Iowa going farther than I should just because <laughs> of my bias. Second round matchup against South Carolina. You pick them anyway. Yeah, I might, I might pick Iowa anyway, even if they have a, a matchup with South Carolina. All right. Well, we're over our hour. Anything else on your sports radar? We talked about your favorite sports, basketball and auto racing, but anything else going on? Oh, yeah. Auto racing is definitely my second (laughs) favorite sport. I wanted to reveal that on the Sports Gospel podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I I definitely watched every second of the Daytona 500 and probably watch every uh, NASCAR race from here on out. But uh, (laughs) that and golf. Um, I'm a really big golf fan. Um, no, uh, nothing really on my mind. I'm just really kind of excited. I mean, we're really coming up on my favorite time of the year. I know I talked about how much I like the NBA playoffs in this episode, but I do like March Madness. I do like the one and done element. I think it's just such a established tradition with March Madness that that's why I like it. Um, I do like the upsets in that, in that scenario. So I'm ready for March Madness. I'm actually ready for conference tournament week. A lot of people don't watch that as much. I still take time off to watch that, uh, the conference tournament action on Thursday and Friday all day um, of the major conference tournaments. So I'm I'm really pumped because there's a lot of big college basketball coming my way, and uh, I'm stoked for it. I'm all for those random like Thursday night championship games in some tiny little gym that looks like a high school, and it's actually the MIAC conference championship game. Uh, like Longwood versus Quinnipiac playing for a shot to the tournament. I love watching those games a couple times a year. Just I'm at the Um, bar and it's on. Let's, let's kick back and watch. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I'll be kicking back into watching those too. I mean, before the major conference tournaments, we'll have the Missouri Valley conference tournament the week before, and that'll be a fun, um, a fun time. But also, you know, you get the schools that people haven't seen the Winthrop's of the world, the liberties of the world, Colgate, uh, you know, all these all these fun small schools that uh, you don't get a chance to see all the time because you're watching the big boys. I I love those tournaments. Those are going to be really fun tournaments to watch this year. And that's why we have you on, somebody with credibility who actually watches these games throughout the year and knows what's happening, not a... I think I've, I think I've watched uh, more of those games this year just because I've been betting on more of those games this year. <laughs> so I've watched, uh, I've watched a lot of small mid-major even low major basketball uh, just because of my uh, betting habits and practices. See, but I'd rather have that than the, uh, the big media talking heads you get who suddenly know everything about St. Mary's, but have not watched a single West coast conference game all year. Oh yes. Tell me, tell me more about all those games you didn't watch and everything you know about Oklahoma state basketball this season. Exactly. But that's what you're for to be that aficionado for us. Happy to be that. Well, thank you for joining us. And thank you all for listening. You want to come back in two weeks and talk about conference tournaments? Conference tournaments, the bubble. I'm here for it. I I love all of that talk. So there you go. That's our teaser for two weeks. Next week, we'll talk about something different. I still haven't figured out next week's show. But, oh, I didn't ask you. Super Bowl, yay or nay? We we had your preview, but we haven't talked to you since then. Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh... 
I loved it. The game was good. The halftime show was really good. Um, the halftime show wasn't long enough for me as uh, the big fan of hip hop that I am. I wanted about 10 more minutes. Um, I understood why they only got the 10 that they did. I, I thought all in all, I mean, the only part that was maybe a letdown was commercials. I don't really, none of the commercials really stood out um, like they do maybe in some other years, but the game and the halftime show, everything else, you know, beyond the commercials was just great. I thought so. Um, I wanted a, I wanted a Jamar chase down Jamar chase touchdown. Sorry. Um, for, uh, financial reasons and didn't get it. I wanted a Bengals win for financial reasons and didn't get it. Uh, but I still managed to make some money on a OBJ first touchdown, a Cooper nice. cup next touchdown. Um, I, you know, I got all of that before uh, OBJ got hurt. Um, I really, I really thought it was a compelling and interesting game and all of that. Good. Yeah. Everybody else seems to have liked the game more than I did. So you were in the majority. I am in the minority. Mm. I feel like that's the way it works on this podcast. Whenever I come on, uh, <laughs> I have an opinion and you have a differing opinion. I will, I will be the dissenting opinion. So doesn't hurt my feelings. Fair enough. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. We'll be back next Thursday night on the sports gospel. Find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcast, radio, public sports, All right. Thank you everybody. We'll see you next Thursday.